Inclusion on Air podcast. This podcast is a program of the American Association of Veterinary Medical Colleges Diversity Matters Initiative. The podcast explores various issues related to diversity and inclusion in the veterinary profession and provides the AADMC an opportunity to offer ongoing diversity programming to our member institutions as well as all veterinary professionals. My name is Dr. Lisa Greenhill and I am the Chief Diversity Officer at AADMC. So, Today, we are talking about the environment and veterinary medicine. Now, according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, the Earth's temperature has risen by 0.08 Celsius degrees per decade since 1880. For those of us in the U.S., you know, we don't do Celsius, so that's 0.14 Fahrenheit. We can have that conversation later on that diversity issue. Um, But the rate of warming since 1981 is more than twice that. Um, It is is rapidly increasing. And anyone who watches Planet Earth shows like I do on the weekends knows that the dramatic changes in climate and weather have had a really negative impact on wildlife. Polar bears are not living very polar lives, smut city war, and water scarcity is decimating animal populations around the world. Um, Certainly veterinary medicine is concerned about those things. There are animals involved, right? But what about this issue, these larger kind of things that we talk about in the profession, like one health, planetary health, public health, all of those kinds of things? Um, What about the people who are in the mix? We often know, we know that often uh, low-income communities and communities of color are more likely to live in places experiencing environmental harms. Um, They typically have uh, exposure to more pollution, more waste runoff, um, and just more of all the things that are not all that great. Um, We see in human health data that uh, also that some of these things um, are, you know, a part of kind of what goes into creating health disparities. Um, And those things are really just attributable to environmental racism and classism sometimes. And this is not just an American issue. This is a global problem. Um, And so uh, at a recent meeting in July, um, one of our guests kind of talked about some of these issues and kind of, you know, what is our role um, as a profession and what is the role of the colleges in preparing um, new veterinary grads? You know, what is our role in environmental health? And for me, in my work, of course, I'm really justice-oriented. So it brought me to the question more specifically around what is veterinary medicine's role in environmental justice? So to discuss all of this and probably a few other things along the way, I'm really pleased to welcome my three guests today, Drs. Andrew Hoffman, Craig Steven, and Christina Petten-Brewer. Thank you so much. And welcome to the show, each of you. I'm so glad that you're here. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Great. So as is our custom on the show, I have my guests introduce themselves. So, Christina, we're actually going to start with you this afternoon. Tell us a little bit about yourself. 
All right. Um, I am a veterinarian that I graduated from Brazil, and then I came to the United States to pursue my graduate studies in zoo and wildlife medicine with Dr. Murray Fowler at UC Davis. And I did all my residency training, and I had to redo veterinary medicine again because I had a foreign degree. So, And then continue to the graduate school and residency and all the preparation we have to do it. Uh, interestingly enough, since as I was a veterinarian from Brazil and working with the wild animals, I always was concerned with the environment. So that is already part of my, my own vision. And 30 years later, here we are with the One Health, planetary health, um, population health, and other integrated health, which uh, it was my experience as a veterinarian student in Brazil. And going through the wildlife medicine, having this vision of conservation and environmental um, conservation as well. Now I am a, an um, associate professor at the School of Medicine on the Department of Comparative Medicine. So I still work from, I had worked from elephants to mouse and now to humans and all this species and the importance of veterinary medicine in all this field. So this is who I am right now at the University of Washington in Seattle. Great. Thank you. Welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Great. Uh, Andrew Hoffman, let us go to you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you, Lisa. Uh, and, and thank you for putting on this uh, important podcast, you know, looking at climate and social justice, environmental health and so forth. Yeah. Last four years, I've been dean at the University of Pennsylvania School of Veterinary Medicine. I'm a large animal internist by training. I did 24 years at Tufts before that, was very research focused. I was working in smoking related Ill, illness, which might have be uh, one area where uh, I was focused on One Health from the perspective of animal models, both induced and spontaneous models, but also really thinking about health disparities because that's a, a really a big contribution to smoking related illness. Um, in the last four years, the only other thing I'll say is that as leading a veterinary school, I'm thinking very deeply on this subject about the future of um, veterinary uh, training and education with respect to some of these global challenges, particularly climate change and the impact on health disparities. And uh, yeah, so that's why I'm that's that's why I'm here. Hey, thank no. you. Welcome. And of course, for folks that don't know, which most of you hopefully do know, that, that UPenn, of course, is one of the few schools that is like right in an inner city, like just right on down there. Um, not in the burbs, not in the country with all that space. They're right in the city. <laughs> and we just started. Um, yes. And that is a very important point because we are an anchor institution within a major metropolitan area. And we are uh, really devoted to thinking about um, these issues in the context of being in a major metropolis. I also just started, I should say one more thing, I just started, as you know, Lisa, uh, a new task force, the Climate Change Task Force at the AAVMC, uh, which uh, Lisa is uh, an important member of and uh, leads this diversity and inclusion on air through the AAVMC, but I think it's very much learning opportunity here for me to inform that task force about the future directions of of tackling this issue in veterinary education. Great. Wonderful. And last but certainly not least, Craig, tell us about yourself. Well, uh, Christina should lean out her window and look north because I'm just up on Vancouver Island, north of you there in Seattle. So I'm calling you from uh, from the west coast of Canada. 
pleased to be here. Um, briefly, I too am a veterinarian, did my doctoral work in epidemiology. Um, I've always said my professional journey has always been taking one step further from the cow. You know, in, in, in veterinary medicine, we're trained to understand health with our hands on the animal. But to understand, but we generally don't understand health. We understand lack of health. We become disease service specialists. And my path has always been to ask, well, how can I prevent that? How can I avoid that? How can I keep things well? So I'm a health guy, not a disease guy. And um, part of the hat I'm wearing right now is starting a new uh, nonprofit agency, a charitable organization in Canada called the McEachern Institute, which is trying to figure out how do we future-ready animal health professionals, veterinarians and other people, to deal with the challenges that we are going to face in a rapidly changing world. So right now, I've uh, stepped out of my academic position. I still retain a clinical professorship at the School of Population and Public Health in Canada and at Ross Veterinary School in the Caribbean. But I, I, I really am a practitioner. Uh, I, I years ago started a before One Health was invented, something called the Center for Coastal Health, which was a practice that we tried to figure out how to deal with health in an interconnected way. And that's been a continuing theme. So so that's the part, predominant hat I wear these days is just trying to help make it easier for people to make choices that are good for us, other species and other generations. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. So let us dive in. And I'm actually going to start with Craig, just because he just kind of gave me a nice little entry point saying, yeah, before One Health, because it's, <laughs> these things have kind of been called, you know, a number of different things. I remember when I first uh, joined AAVMC, which feels like a very, very long time ago, um, we were calling things kind of One Medicine, right? Um, and uh and, and I've seen things evolve, um, you know, now, I guess, probably for the last 20 years, I've been hearing the terminology One Health. Um, and in the last couple of years now, we're starting to say things like planetary health. So uh, let us kind of do a little bit of level setting, Craig. What is One Health? And is planetary health the same as One Health? Like, what, what, what is all of this? <laughs> what is One Health? And what is planetary health? Let me start with a story. <laughs> um, many years ago, I was asked to be part of an initiative to describe the health of the Georgia Strait ecosystem. So the Georgia Strait is the body of water between the mainland of British Columbia and Vancouver Island. And we're at that meeting and the physical oceanographer said, well, the Georgia Strait is between this sea mount and this trench, right? So that's what we're going to work on. And the chemical oceanographer said, no, 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 no. It's this threshold. No, no, no. So the biological oceanographers, that's where this species goes and that species goes. So there was a debate about what this thing was. And then finally, there's one fellow in the back of the room who said, an ecosystem is just all the things that affect the thing you're interested in. And I went, I'm interested in health. Call that what you want. I'm, I'm old enough now where I have gone in my career through sustainability, sustainable development, uh, eco health, ecosystem health, conservation medicine, one health, planetary health, global health. They're all challenged with the same problem of the recognition that our, our unidisciplinary approaches aren't enough to affect the thing that we are interested in. That mm. health is this cumulative effect. And by taking little pieces of it, we're not able to fix it. One Health is, I mean, I've, I've got textbooks out on One Health. I've written extensively on One Health, and I'd like to throw the term out now. Don't worry about the word. What is it we're actually trying to achieve? And let's focus on that. And that's where our debate has to change to. Not what are we trying to 
promote what kind of brand we're trying to make, but what's the change that we need to make in a rapidly changing world? Let's figure out how to make the change happen. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, so I'm going to go to Andy. Where does VetMed really fit in this, right? Um, I, I started my career with AAMC, the meta, uh, human medicine folks. Um, I can tell you that they weren't they weren't talking about things back then. <laughs> Much respect for Theta and now being at a medical school, I'm glad that they're talking about these things. But they weren't talking about that. And they certainly weren't talking about, you know, the role of veterinary medicine as a partner in, in protecting public health, right? So so where does VetMed kind of sit in this, Andy? Yeah, it's, a, it's not obvious. Um, but I think if you just step back from... The history of, of the Anthropocene age where human activity dominates all um, impacts on the environment through the last, you know, a couple hundred years, certainly from the Industrial Revolution. It's been a huge extractive process. And we're talking about fossil fuels. We're talking about natural resources and we're talking about land conversion for agriculture and so forth. And so right away, the history of colonialism and then extraction of natural resources evokes immediately a history of the enslaved and, and, and oppression and inequities. And the veterinary profession is born out of this uh, industrial age, industrial agriculture, industrial technologies, biotechnologies, and the advent of sort of modern medicine. Um, so, I, but I think it's really important just to think about that for a minute that, you know, we are, there's no way to reduce the veterinary profession to something that's separate from all of, of that. Now, if we just think of ourselves as um, veterinary practitioners in veterinary medicine that are, by definition, involved in with animals in all different ways, um, as Craig said, focused on health, but a lot of us thinking about reversing disease, maybe not so health-focused as Craig, then the intersections are everywhere. The biodiversity crisis alone um, almost everywhere, but in particularly in, in areas of vulnerable nations and um, underdeveloped nations and marginalized communities, biodiversity, uh, loss of biodiversity results in poverty. It, it um, predictably encourages the spillover of viruses and pathogens. Um, people lose their income, their farms, there's the desertification. All this impacts our profession because we're stewards along with um, uh, farmers and farm families and communities around the world were stewards of animals and animal product production and food security. So it intersects with respect to agriculture and food security. It intersects with respect to biodiversity and the protection of animal health of all species, um, the biodiversity uh, crisis per se, um, zoonosis and how that challenges, particularly um, endemic zoonosis, um, really, uh, and I'm just going to shamelessly promote Craig's book. <laughs> we love it. We love it. This is an amazing book. And I'm just going to say, because I learned a lot of this, um, some of these details, I think, in terms of examples um, that he gives of endemic diseases and how, and some zoonotic, some are not, some are interspecies, but they ultimately impact humans and the veterinary profession because they bring about poverty and, and uh, either the success or failure of food systems. Invasive species, antimicrobial resistance, um, empowerment of women and girls, 
you know, climate and environmental challenges um, are challenges to women. Women around the world, particularly in, in, in Africa, are closest to the environment. And they are stewards of the animals. They are stewards of water. And they are impacted mostly sociologically in terms of their health and their mental and physical well-being um, by environmental um, a degradation. In particular, we're looking at climate change right now. So, and the veterinary profession again, um, our our role is to um, ensure global health, ensure food security. Yeah. So again, those are some of the areas. There's lots of other things, but I think. Those sort of, I think we have to think about the intersectionality between climate, um, zoonoses, uh, deforestation, biodiversity, and of course uh, the impacts on on human health. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I um, that dovetails so well with with what Craig said about you know here's all of this different language, but really ultimately this is about health, like health for all the living things, right? Um, we actually just uh, I think in our my previous episode of the podcast, we talked about land acknowledgements. And one of the things that we talked about was, um, you know, as a part of the AAVMC's new land acknowledgement, one of the things that we um, mentioned is the connectivity of all living things, right? And then and recognizing the importance of that and that um, that that those things um, are important to the profession. Um, Christina, I really, really wanted someone outside of the U.S. Um, from with a, a history from outside of the U.S. Um, and Craig, I mean, North America, <laughs> so um, that really can kind of talk to the fact that this is really not just I mean, you know, we get pretty myopic about a lot of different things. And we're like, oh, climate change. And here's, you know, what's happening in the U.S. as though air doesn't move, right? <laughs> like, it's just, like, the, like the butterfly effect, right? Um, and so, you know, I was really interested recently, I, I um, was reading up on um, what's happening in Brazil with deforestation and the, and the Amazon and some of those things and, and how it is um, certainly not only uh impacting the ecosystem from you know an animal perspective but you know how how are, or is there a balance between kind of using those resources in the amazon for deforestation and still the protection of indigenous people who live in the amazon Yes, um, so this is fantastic that uh, I would like to contribute the words with Craig and Andrew that showing that the importance of the veterinarians in this health, on the One Health. We, I usually, when I teach One Health, I always say, well, we shouldn't separate ourselves making different silos, but quite contrary, it's an integrated health to a point I always say, maybe we should call intergalactic health next because since we have been to this space now and uh, coming from Latin America, and I initiated the One Health in Brazil in 2012, and even before when it started there with the World Conservation Society in 2009, it has been a long time until now we are recognized by the government that One Health is important. Now we have a policy uh, made 
made especially after um, the quadripartite that made that more official. So our experience from Brazil, Latin America, and the Amazon particularly, which is very close to our heart, and my experience also, and I wrote a manuscript that says that uh, from the action to the concept. So we have a different perspective from North America and Europe that it comes, we have been acting and um, because of necessity, we have to work interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary, but also the transdisciplinarity or working directly with the minority communities, which is the uh, not only in Brazil and the Amazon, but Peru, Chile, Bolivia. It is that transdisciplinarity that it's be it's to gather the animal health, human health, plants health, and the environment, but with the communities, not like I am a researcher. Usually we want to go to the research and get the numbers, come back to your lab and publish. And this is different. I had an experience with a, a tribe, an indigenous tribe in Brazil that I work as a collaborator. And he looked at my eyes and said, Christina, you're not coming here to get our data, but you're going to learn from us our medicine health. Mm -hmm. I shut up. <laughs> and now they call me sister. Because I allowed, I, I, I became a human and, in, and sat together and came with this experience. So one of the experiences, as Craig mentioned, uh, the importance of food safety, food security. Um, at the same time, we have to protect and preserve our forest. And Brazil has 63.3% of forest compared to, I believe, 23% in the United States. So it's a major, major responsibility. And again, I can bring the positive. We have been working with a One Health approach for a long time. I can bring two examples that are very good. And one, and I can give you the references later so we can put it uh, available. One of them, it's from Embrapa. Embrapa is the... Um, the, um, the, it's, the, it's a state institution, a public state institution that it, uh, even if the politics change, the in state institution stay the same. And it's the agriculture and, um, and livestock that does research including in the Amazon. So we always hear the negative part. Oh, they're destroying everything and we don't have anything left, which is true. However, if it is the Embrapa, which is the state institution, and also the Nature Conservancy, they work in different projects, which is the, it is called uh, Sustainable Livestock pro Production, paving the way towards responsible agriculture. So it is the integrated health or integrated um, forest um, agriculture and the livestock and the environment. And they have been having very good, um, uh, how to say, um, they have been uh, very good um, uh, results, especially, and I'll come here with the beef production. That's the one we concern the most. Mm -hmm. And the beef production, they had increased over 100% on the production of the, they have like 100% of um, growth of the animals. And, 340% of beef production. However, through this sustainable livestock and integrated, they have to have a um, carbon and a, a carbon um, 
it's a stamp that has to be uh, like the forest, the biodiversity, the diversity of the uh, harvesting, the agriculture, and the community involvement. And then they have this stamp, which is the to uh, the uh, carbon low carbon beef. <laughs> Let's see that tra translation. And uh, why do they do that? Because of the market. Brazil is the number one export of beef to the world. And to compete with the economics, they are um, encouraging to the farmers, small farmers and large farmers to become in this um, low, zero or low carbon beef. Those are legal farmers, small and, and large. However, the problem in the Amazon that we hear every time is the illegal livestock production. So I'll let here also, uh, we do have, and this is just for the part of the food safety. Of course, we can, like um, the indigenous population, we have been working together, but we have to do more. But I just wanted to see, again, from the action to the concept, there are two programs in Brazil working very hard legally to make a difference, but we still have a problem even with wildlife, illegal trade, we have the illegal um, meat production yeah. uh, that makes, those are the ones that we have to control or change. Okay. That's really interesting. I hadn't heard of the kind of low carbon beef. I'm going to come back to that because I think that that's an interesting thing, but there's also a, a kind of, at least here in the States, there's, there's a, there's a, there's often a commodification of um, like, ah, uh, you know, by here we we off we do carbon offsets and and you know all of these kinds of things and and um, you know it is a very attractive thing, but it also sometimes prices the folks who need access to those resources the most out of the market, right? Like that beef is going to be more expensive, so. Um, but, you know, um, Craig, I wanted to come back to you and, and really kind of, you know, I know that most veterinarians get some exposure and some training around this, um, but really kind of, I don't know how much the profession and the individuals in the profession really spend, uh, you know, kind of thinking about what is the individual practitioner's role in protecting the environment. So, you know, certainly, of course, there's the individual level and then, you know, um, macro and meso levels and systems levels. But what are some of the ways in which, you know, the profession, um, you know, contributes to the protection of environment, especially when it comes to thinking about, um, you know, how to protect surrounding communities? Well, how much time do you have? Um, I, think, I, think, I think there's a couple of things that are really important here. One is that I get increasingly worried that veterinary medicine is selling a false bill of sales to the students like One Health and Equity, all that, and the curriculum takes them down into disease service, which is a really, really important job. And we know that 90% of those are going to go into clinical care. Right. And so we have to make sure our messaging doesn't set them up for, well, there's nothing I can do. Somebody else must do it. But that's that's really that's one thing that's really important. Is that that ethic? Because I think I think at best you could say they might get exposure. I would argue they don't really get training mm. uh, to really work in these fields. 
The second thing is disease is the job of specialists. Health is a team sport. So we need to start talking about an animal healthcare system, not veterinarians. All right. Most of the people who keep animals healthy are not veterinarians. Right. The people who house them, feed them, make sure their forests are intact. Those are conservationists, farmers, agronomists. They're all part of the healthcare continuum. Just like in human health, we have the coroner, the eMERGE, the GP, public health, health promotion. We're way down here. And in fact, in literature reviews we've done on climate change and animal health research, wildlife health research, fundamentally veterinary medicine, the bulk of the attention is to documenting demise. We find it, we describe it, we tell why it causes problems, and we track it across the landscape. So there has to be this shift that vets can do it all. Because that is the wrong model to use. We don't, that's certainly not the human healthcare model. So the question is, where can you find the leverage that you can pull where you find yourself in the profession? Mm. Now, certainly all of us, I mean, the other problem I have with veterinary medicine is um, veterinarians tend not to get involved unless some cared about fish in Canada until aquaculture became big. Very few people care about wildlife because there's not a client, right? So we first have to recognize there's more than a paying client. So the first and most important thing that every veterinarian can do is vote. They can advocate. They are trusted members of the community. They can show up at the municipality and say, why are you cutting this forest down in this town? Here's the reasons why not. You can speak your voice and not have to get paid to it. You have training, you have perspective, you have credibility in the community. Justice doesn't happen from science and from syringes. It comes from passion and advocacy. So we have to have that ethos developing in that, that you're not going to vet school to become a veterinarian. You're going to become an enlightened, educated citizen that can make a difference. Mm-hmm. So I think all, all of us can do that. Then we're all individuals. We make our choices about the food we buy, what we do. I just got asked to go down to the U.S. to give a, a, to give a seminar for a sustainability club. And I, I showed them my carbon footprint would be 4.7 months worth of my carbon footprint to fly down there for the sustainability group. So we have to walk the talk, yeah. right? We have to start saying, how, what do I have to do? What do I need to do? Tough decisions have to be made. Mm. The next thing we're going to have to recognize is um, you can't save the world without taking a risk. You might not get a client. You might not have the car you want. You might not get the job you want. But we are at an emergency time. So those are things you can do regardless of four years of veterinarian. Then that can carry over to how... Do you run your pandemic? Can we do telemedicine better and decrease travel for people? Can we, in fact, figure out how we do scavenging our anesthetic gases? How we design our clinic? All those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. I think we have to be careful with balancing this idea that it's all individual action. It's it's really important individual action, but that doesn't get rid of the structural and systematic impediments to doing the right things. And the veterinary profession can play a stronger voice in being that advocate. You said it earlier, Lisa. We are the stewards for animal health. And this is one of my big concerns about One Health. It is focused on, we look at animals to protect people. Now, without a doubt, you must have biodiversity for human health. I'm, I'm a public health person, although I deal with animals. I'm an intergenerational public health practitioner, right? Mm-hmm. And I do that by looking after animals and doing what we're good at, right? So I think that we have to make sure that we recognize that there is value in advocating for the things that animals need to stay well, because that will provide the things that keep people well as the resources they need to be well. And just sort of one last illustrated story about this. 
So this is this is when I was um, doing one health capacity development in the Caribbean. And a colleague of mine who was in charge of agricultural animal health section in this country was very, very upset that physicians wouldn't come to the One Health stuff. Well, you know, One Health, the community said, look, if you keep that animal healthy, what's going to happen in that farm? Oh, they'll have some food. Yeah, they'll have some income. Yeah, we're going to do with that money. Well, they'll get a better house. I said, you've taken off six determinants of human well-being by looking after the animals and doing your job well. So we have to reimagine the narrative we're giving those students to say, you actually will deal with inequities, interspecies inequities, intergenerational inequities, and current inequities by doing your job really well, which is to give animals what they need to cope with the stresses that life throws out. Mm. Ooh, that's a mic drop moment. I love that. <laughs> I love that. And this idea of, yeah, you doing your job is, is helping to keep that animal help, healthy and all the folks around that animal, right? Whether they're in the, in the wild or not, right? Um, or on the couch with you. Um, I think that these things are just... Um, so important. And I think that that we do kind of get caught up, especially you mentioned, you know, the carbon footprint in terms of um, going to a sustainability <laughs> meeting. You know, I think that we deal with those kinds of ironies all the time, right? Like we're kind of trying to figure out what's the the, the right way of doing things. Um, you know, we at the individual level, we end up fo focusing on, you know, are we going to bag our own groceries or are we going to like pay the five cents um, to, to get a, you know, a plastic bag and, you know, what is the, you know, what is the macro level impact of, of the, 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 the five cent plastic bags, those types of things. But I, I think that you've reframed it in such a way, um, very much like Christina did kind of what is the action getting back in time that to that, that concept. So thank you for that. What's the, what we call it, of course, is, is the nutcracker strategy it has to be from the bottom pressure and the top pressure. Right. It's not one or the other. It has to be both. And it has to, we have to speak to our strengths. Um, veterinarians have a history of trying to be good at everything. Right. And we've and we've we've now got down to we're specializing, but we're specializing more in clinical issues. But how do we develop the skills? I would love here's here's a, a, a challenge for Dr. Hoffman. I would love to see a population health teaching hospital at a veterinary school where the students see the role models of how to deal with these structural changes that set the conditions. Because we have to remember, more health was protected in humanity by affecting the conditions in which we live than by any medicine or surgery ever invented. So can we actually have role models in the veterinary schools and a practice of students seeing affecting those situations of living is doing my job, right? And by doing those situations of living for animals, who we are the stewards for, there are, in fact, co-benefits to other generations and other people, right? But we need that game-changing thinking right now. Mm. Yeah, Andrew, respond to that fantasy hospital scenario. I mean, <laughs> One Health Hospital, I mean, let's call it something else, but I mean, there, there, there is that idea. Um, but I just want to say, you know, Craig, you've sort of connected us to this idea about determinants of health. And that has been widely um, studied in the public health, human public health field. And uh, it's obviously we invest less than 5% of all of our healthcare dollars in, in fixing the determinants of health. But what you've done is um, in your writing and in your work, I think is important to recognize that you've connected us to 
the, the social, socio-ecological determinants of animal health. And those are inextricably linked to human health. But I do think there's a role for a veterinary voice, you know, to, to lift up that voice that there are determinants of health that involve animals all around the world. And you also made a point earlier, I also want to augment that I always tell people, you know, human physicians love them, you know, but they they treat the patients and send them back to the same crap that they were in before, right? The same determinants of health. No, that is not as true anymore. Human phys physicians are also looking at determinants of health in their training to a greater degree. But veterinarians do improve the quality of life. Um, their, you know, their economic viability, um, the health of their companion animals and their livestock, and the environment that they live in. And and so they not so they go to come. They meet them where they're at. They meet people where they're at, and they recognize many things that are going on in their environment. And to that extent, our, our school has sort of embarked on a number of interdisciplinary degrees, transdisciplinary, but mostly we call them interdisciplinary degrees, so that veterinarians can start to get more training and thinking about this. Because I think to, to both of the other um, panelists, um, invited panelists' points, there's a lot that we can do, but I really, I really fear that without additional training, in public health, in social work, in environmental science, in law and policy, so on and so forth. Without some formal training, um, veterinarians in general will struggle to be take part of this new, you know, transformed uh, paradigm of thinking of focused on health, focused on the determinants of health, because they will go on and 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 continue the practice life without having necessarily that role wider role or their role in the community. So I think I think part of the solution here and how veterinarians connect to these issues is additional training. And when I see veterinarians get additional training, and traditionally it was public health or preventative medicine, but going way beyond that into non-health areas and getting additional training while they're in veterinary school, their eyes really open up about the roles that they can play in other sectors. And that's where I think we're going to start to see veterinarians really impacting those determinants of health, nutrition, exercise, all sorts of, you know, policy-based decisions, so forth. And in the end, the, the other thing I, I would add to that is very simply that last night I attended a panel with the Honorable Malcolm Turnbull, the former Prime Minister of Australia, and Michael Mann, who's arguably one of the leading climate scientists in the world, published the hockey stick and so forth. Um, they made a simple point. Turnbull said, everybody needs to vote. It's very simple. That's what we need to do to fix climate change and environmental uh, health associated with that. And Michael Mann says, urgency and agency. His point is that we have all the technology to fix all of these things. And that 75 to 80% of the problem with climate change relates to fossil fuel extraction. But here's the rub. Our part, which involves agriculture, conservation, and so forth, isn't that simple. We don't know the best way to proceed globally with agriculture. There is no consensus on beef. Yeah, most people say pasture beef is better, right? Um, there is no consensus on how to feed the world right now in a sustainable way. Yes, we need to reduce land committed to agriculture. Yes, we need to stop deforestation. Yes. We need to regenerate soils and so forth. But our business, our part in all of this is much more complicated and not so much 
is simple. We need to decarbonize, electrify the grid. They're 75% of, of CO2 emissions, right? The rest of it on our part, on our watch, is very complicated. I would argue we have a, a more complicated job and we need veterinarians trained to understand those complexities and so forth. So, yeah. Thank you. Christine, I want to give you an opportunity to respond as well. Yes. And, and this is very, again, how wonderful it is, these approaches, integrated health approaches are the uh, world coming together so we can figure out what to do next to save our planet. And one thing, again, the Latin American has been very um action oriented because it came one half in, in South America came Latin American and Caribbean came from bottom to up or grassroots movements, including the communities and the minority communities because of necessity, we have to work together. There's no way you can go in your little box in your silo. So that necessity of having to work interdisciplinary or together uh, brought this um, importance even at the vet schools or graduate schools or postgraduate schools, then now we have One Health as part of the curriculum, not as one course, but different courses having this vision. What is your vision that has a holistic approach uh, in, in different disciplines so we can continue the implementation of the One Health. But as I mentioned, again, it came from action to the concept. Now they are trying to figure out what is that concept mm -hmm. while before it was already practicing. Mm -hmm. So you asked at the beginning, just to go back very briefly, what is the difference between One Health and planetary health? And then the planetary health, uh, and I teach that every day, we have to know the differences. What is planetary health, echo health, population health, public health, global health, one health. But so far, just a summary is um, when, when the uh, when the when the planetary health came in 2015 with the Harvard, with the Rockefeller, it, it is the vision is anthropogenic. It is still seeing the human health and how the environment affects human health. And hopefully the animals will be part of them as, as well. We see the polar bear, but it's because of the climate change. Right. Uh, the One Health has a different perspective. It sees everything. It is a holistic where equally human, animal, plants, and the environment has the same value and one interfere each other. So we're still trying to discuss the concept. We're still trying to figure it out. But instead of separating ourselves in different groups, we can contribute with each other. I work at the School of Medicine and we do have the Center for One Health Research at the Public Health and the School of Medicine. So I work with the physicians. So it is possible. <laughs> we work together. But again, it, it, it's, um, it, 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 I think as veterinarians, we have an important role as leaders to work together as for the future pandemics, as for the, all the, um, the topics that Andrew mentioned, all of them, we are in the leadership, we have to be in leadership position. Unfortunately, veterinary medicine in certain countries are more valued than others. So I believe we have to be a con, con like a, a world recognition, the importance of veterinary medicine in health of the planet. So that is my perspective. I, again, come from the action yeah. to the concept. Yeah, I mean, I think that you raise an important point. Um, you know, I, I'm not a veterinarian. I just, you all have let me hang around for more than 20 years. And so I picked up a few things. But 
Um, but I mean, I think that, you know, the average non-veterinarian just doesn't, I mean, I remember back in the 90s when I first joined AAVMC the very first time. I mean, the first two years, I just kept being blown away. Like, really? There's a there's a vet for that? Like, I didn't even know that was a thing. Like, you know, um, just my vocabulary was uh, just it was so growing at such an alarming rate to me because it was just like, wow, I had no idea all of the different ways that veterinary medicine um, plays into this. And yet all of you have also brought up something that I think is, is really important. Um, I mean, my entire career pretty much has been in health professions education. And oftentimes we are very disease oriented, disease focused. We are solving that problem versus kind of this bigger picture. Like how does that one problem fit into this larger landscape? Um, so, so I, I think that that's just something that, that is just so important, kind of thinking more broadly about health and not just, um, these bits and pieces, right? So at the summer's, uh, AAVMC assembly meeting in Philadelphia, um, uh, Dr. Hoffman, Andrew discussed some of these intersections of environmental health and veterinary medicine and specifically around social justice. And, um, and so I've asked him, and this is, of course, what for me was the inspiration for this show. So I'd love for him to give you a few bullets or, you know, what were some of the things that you kind of, um, brought up during during those remarks and and some of the challenges uh, to your profession, um, you know that you you'd like to mention. In terms of the intersection between environmental health and social justice and yeah. medicine, yeah, yeah, I think it's important to recognize that um, you know there is a global disparity. Um, if we just look at the actual environmental um, pollutants and damage that the global north is producing that is impacting the global south which has a very small contribution to climate change and again veterinary medicine intersects because many of the much of the global south we're talking about africa we're talking also uh, about south asia and so forth this is facing you know prolonged droughts and also extreme weather and flooding and of course wildfires and this is having a great impact on the quality of life of vulnerable um, underdeveloped nations and indigenous people and marginalized um, historically marginalized communities in those countries so we contribute to greenhouse gases um, we have a much smaller part of the population in in the world I mean, sorry, much larger population. We produce much of the greenhouse gases, and but the impact is the impact is much greater. Seven of the ten greatest impacted countries in the world are African countries in terms of the susceptible to the harshest effects of climate crisis. Africa is fifteen percent of the world's population, but it only produces two to three percent of the total CO two emissions. So, um, right there, for me, it's it's a this is a poignant time in in human history where those where this is uh, the disparities where the social injustices of environmental um uh, damage is is about as stark as it has ever been um again i think uh everything that the veterinary profession does and learns about as knowledgeable medical practitioners 
as Greg calls them, sort of specialist generalists. You know, we have a general practitioner background, but we also have some special knowledge in our communities um, that we can offer um, to recognize what these disparities are. I think it's important that there are also major gender disparities around the world. Again, I mentioned earlier, women and girls are more impacted by these, um, let's focus on, on the climate emergency. Um, in some ways, um, all of us are um, seeing what's unfolding in Africa as an accelerated version of what's going to happen to us. And I think it's very important that we need to educate veterinarians that all of these changes that are occurring in the climate, um, and we talked about what they were, are going to impact our stakeholders, all of our stakeholders. We're going to have to learn how to not just to reduce and mitigate emissions from agriculture and from our practices, as Greg pointed out, and develop more sustainable pathways. But we are going to have to learn how to adapt. And this is going to be one of the big challenges for the next decade. We're seeing more and more of extreme weather and extreme weather events and heat domes affecting bread baskets and animals. And we see that the death of beef cattle in Kansas, and we see floods in Pakistan, and so on and so forth. And um, it's happening almost uh, every every week. And these um, uh, these uh, events are impacting our patients and our clients and our communities and our stakeholders. And so we're going to be a very important uh, profession as far as understanding uh, the animal health and the links between animal health, human health and so forth. Um, I also think that we need to recognize that uh, indigenous perspective is that animals and humans are, uh, there's interspecies <laughs> equity. Yeah. And, Greg, and, and, and Craig, you make a big point of that throughout your book is that the two-eyed perspective is that we need to listen to, we need to take on more, less of a human extracting the natural resources for the human benefit of increasing human population and look at it that we are a species uh, within the animal kingdom and that there's sort of an interspecies as well as the intergenerational equity that you talked about for future generations. So I guess, I don't know if I made the point that you were after, but I think, I think it's just critical that as a profession, we become educated and we understand that these impacts are coming. And I'm not a doomsday or an alarmist, but I do think that we need to understand that, that you know, the center of Philadelphia, Vine Street Expressway was flooded for a week last year. Um, we had tornadoes, six tornadoes north of us. We, we, we are seeing more and more of these events. We're going to see more and more impact on animals, on zoonoses, on public health, on spillovers and so forth. We need to be ready as a profession. And that means all of us. Yes, yes. I feel like clapping. Um, so, so, but I think that, you know, those things are really important. And I think that sometimes we get... Um, Sometimes we get lost in the details. And, and as you were talking, you know, I, I mean, I've lived in my home for 20 years. I live in a condo. So flooding is not immediately my issue in my condo. However, in my neighborhood, I live very close to the river. I lived there for 20 years. 10 years ago, we started having flooding. Like, it, and, you know, we it's not a designated flood area. So people couldn't get insurance. And, you know, it took a long time for uh, us to convince the county that we needed a levy in that area. And, and I mean, it's only gotten worse. And now they're realizing, I mean, seriously, this summer, they're like, oh, the levy has existed for like four years. That's great. It, and that has reduced flooding. That's great. Oh, my, the levy 
might not be able to handle the water that's coming in the next 10 years. And I'm like, you didn't plan for that. Like, you know, and so um, these are things that we really do have to think about because they have a real important impact on you know, daily lives and and even all the wildlife that we have in the area. Um, Craig, uh, I'd love for you to talk a little bit um, as we get ready to wrap up just about that issue of, um, you know, interspecies equity and and kind of just some of these ways of of knowing and, and thinking from, you know, many, certainly many indigenous peoples around the world and kind of the ways in which um, we conceptualize the environment and, and our respective places in it. Uh, sure. The, I think it's important to recognize that many of these things that we're talking about have been talked about for decades in our human health colleagues and the health promotion. And, and as Andrew said, uh, I mean, again, it's that health team. It's not the physicians who are doing it all. There's it's social scientists, all these sorts of groups. But we've known, we've known for years Here's it that will accesses access to the resources you need to be well, right? And a big job for veterinary medicine is to protect those resources now and for future generations. Um, interspecies and intergenerational health equity is the actions we take today to protect one species or one population should not reduce the capacity for future generations or other species to be well. Mm. Right? And unfortunately, we have not had that view of human health. We focus on individual health equity, which is a hugely important issue. And we focus on those by dealing with the social determinants of health, healthy living, uh, jobs, income, all that, which are really important, but they're all underscored by non-human dimensions. Mm-hmm. In the short term, like we say, it's access to food, it's access to income. I mean, I've worked with uh, impoverished communities where the death of a goat can make the difference between a child going to school. But we don't have to also look elsewhere. There's many issues in North America of inequities too, and they're only going to get worsened with climate crises, with uh, global forces. So if veterinary medicine isn't involved in climate change adaptation, we will be socially irrelevant shortly. Mm. And if you look at the literature, and I've done this twice now, both in a paper we wrote and in a new book we have coming out on climate change and animal health, as I said earlier, the bulk of our commentary is about uh, forecasting what could go wrong. We're going to stop zoonoses. We're going to stop this. And this could get worse. That's a too late strategy. If the dead pile is our signal for acting, we will never be on time. So we really have to focus into maintaining those options for future decisions by protecting our biodiversity, by making sure we match the adaptive capacity of these animals, whether they're kept or wild, to the reality of their changing world. And that is, that is taking this, there's one document the veterinary professions never, or I should say never, rarely reads and is critical to read. And it's called the Ottawa Charter of Health Promotion. It talks about the secret to being well is look after yourself, your community and nature. And it's about building healthy settings. It's not about chasing this disease or this problem. It's about creating settings that allow multiple species to coexist by not removing the resources others need to protect yourself. So, so um, I mean, Anna's been very kind about some of my writing. I, I have done nothing but steal ideas from other disciplines. And almost everything that I write has been coming out of the health promotion, harm reduction. I use a lot of my work uh, based on drug addiction. Mm. How do we deal with drug addictions where well, we can't get rid of the addiction, but we want to get rid of the harms? So we're addicted to fossil fuels. How do we, how do we deal with that? And 
incrementally make changes that are fair and are just. So, so there's a big catch-up world for veterinary medicine to get into, and that catch-up is going to come by shifting away from morbidity, mortality, and suboptimal production to thriving, surviving, and flourishing. Talk in my language. Yes. So one very quick thing. We need people of color. We need underrepresented minorities more involved in the environmental health movement. This is big push by Leah Thomas, who wrote the, the Intersectional Environmentalist, who says this, a lot of the push for the environmental movement came out of the civil rights movement, but then people of color were dropped from it. And so I see a big gap in those actual veterinarians, but also in general, the environmental movement of participants that aren't white. Yeah. Um, so that is something that we need to promote as a profession, and we need to bring those um, we, we need to bring those, uh, that push to yeah. fruition. That's very important if we're going to achieve anything. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Christina, I'm going to uh, let you have the last word. Yes. I, um, as we are all here together, if uh, we have a common sense that to change the world, we have to change ourselves first. And it started us uh, with the inclusion inclusiveness and the diversity brings the solution of the problems because it's different thoughts, different experience. And, and that's why I think for us to continue, and again, not wait until something, as Greg said, not wait until something is dead. So for us to act it, but quite contrary to start looking now and working towards avoiding that to happen. We also have to remember that we are connected to the land and the ocean as well. So we have to bring that together. And in the, when you talk about social justice, it came to my mind, the fishermen. So mm -hmm. it is all these small communities that we have to be concerned as well. So I just, I, I think for me, it's like the integrated health approaches is the way how we can solve and by working together and first changing ourselves as individuals. Thank you, Christina. Thank you, Craig. Thank you. Andrew, thank you. This has been a wonderful conversation. Um, I'm so grateful to the three of you. Uh, this has been another episode of AAVMC's Diversity and Inclusion on Air. Once again, to my guests, thank you again for joining me. Uh, be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app and like us on Facebook. We are under AAVMC's Diversity and Inclusion on Air. Of course, you can always find us on YouTube as well. Um, I will be doing some more shows before the end of the year. Be sure to tune in. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening.